I have for uh, a few weeks been dealing with grace and really getting an understanding of that. And I'm going to kind of piggyback off of grace today. And uh, there's my table. And so I'm not really, it'll, it'll cross over into it, but not as, not as extreme as, as, as I would, uh, as you're thinking. So let me see if I can, I've got a lot. So let me see if I can get this out. So if you can tell the table's a little, it's got some issues, but that's good because, because that's what I want it to have is some issues. Because this morning I want to talk to you about this one specific topic. And we're going, and I've, I've come up with several titles to this, but let me see if I can call it this. A society of perseverance. A society of perseverance. So everything I'm piggybacking on, this is deeper. This is a little further, so we're going to go a little further. But what is a society, or we could call it this, uh, since we're a, we call ourselves a church family, the family of perseverance. We could call ourselves the body of Christ, the body of perseverance. But understand this very clearly, that perseverance is the highest place we reach. Grace in all of its beauty is not the end, it is the, it is the system, it is the force that reaches us to a height to where God wants us to be. And, and where God wants us to be is not three vehicles, two houses, and a vacation home. God does not want us to be just, oh, everything's perfect and everything's easy. And I don't know, that's not it either. When you read the Bible, it will become very frustrating because, because he's talking about suffering and he's talking about persecution and temptations and trials and, and enemies. And, 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 and you're like, look, I just want, pastor, what do I need to do to have a good life? Just like we talked about marriage a few minutes ago. I just want, I just want it to be okay. Well, then buck up, spend the $500, go work. I don't want to do all that. I just want it to be Okay. I mean, that's the reason I come to church. I, I give you a whole 45 minutes. I would say an hour, but really I check out somewhere in the middle and I'm on my phone. So, so I just want you to know, I give you about 45 minutes a week to fix me. It doesn't work that way. The highest level that we're called to is a society of perseverance. Now, let me see if I can explain it. Every one of us in here needs an ancient or an old friend. Look at the person beside you and say, you need an old friend. Do you have an old, old, I mean, somebody who's dead friend? Look, just go ahead. Do you have a dead friend? See, I have a dead friends. And, and dead friends are my best buddies. Because... Many times when I'm in life, in my marriage, in society, in work, in, in 2023, it's very easy for me to be so into the woods that I don't notice the trees. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to get through. I'm just trying to survive. I mean, and somebody sends you a scripture, you know, they write you a scripture and send it to, God was just putting this on my heart and I sent it to you and you're like, ugh. I, I, I'm just trying to find where we're going to eat lunch. I just, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get through the day. And so you need dead friends. You need ancient friends. Now, me personally, I would love Charles Spurgeon to have been my dead friend. 
Charles Spurgeon pastored in London. He was he, he had a 10,000-person church when that was not even a normal thing. I mean, he was, he was so popular. You know, the paper in town printed his sermon every Tuesday for people to read it in the paper. He was called the prince of preachers. The prince of preachers. I mean, he, his ability to just be able to, and I thought, that's who I want. And let me give you some of his quotes when we talk about perseverance. Here, here's what he says. He said, we must school and train ourselves and deal personally with the unconverted. We must not excuse ourselves, but force ourselves to be irked to the irksome task until it becomes easy. Working with unsaved people, talking to unsaved people, relating with them, uh, witnessing to them. He said, you got to keep doing it until the hard just becomes easy to do. Here's, here's what he said. He said, I would to God that saints would cling to Christ half as earnestly as sinners cling to the devil. If we were as willing to suffer for God as some are willing to suffer for their lusts, what perseverance and zeal would be seen on all sides? Here's what he said. Final perseverance is the the necessary evidence of genuine conversion. He said, you want to tell me you really got converted? Then let me see your perseverance go to the end. Don't quit at 50. Don't quit at 45. Let me see you die. Then I'll stand at your grave and I will say, they persevered. Here's what he said. Must is a hard nut to crack, but it has a sweet kernel. Must, I must do it. I've got to do it. And finally, he said this, if there is one doctrine I have preached more than any other, it is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, even to the end. That was his statement. Charles Spurgeon said, of all the sermons I preached the most, of all the things I talked about the most, he said, the perseverance of the saints, I preached that sermon more than I preached any sermon I ever preached. And he pastored for 38 years at his church. But he's not my guy. I hate to say it, he's not my guy. I wish he was my guy. So I just read a few of his. Mine is Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers and me, we go, we go around all the time. We're always wrestling stuff out. And, and, and so who do you have? Maybe A.W. Tozier, C.S. Lewis, or somebody that just challenges you. And when you read them, you're like, Ugh, that's more than I want to do. Here's what Oswald told me. Here's what he spoke when I began to look this up. And, I, and Oswald's like, Tim, let's talk about this. If you'll pull up the, his quote, I think they have that, don't we? We have that? Or have I got to read it without it? Oh, here we go. Oswald Chambers, he wrote once on the discipline of spiritual perseverance. Perseverance is more than endurance. It is endurance combined with the absolute assurance and certainty that we, that we are looking for is going to He said, there's a difference between endurance and and perseverance. Perseverance means more than just hanging on, which may be only exposing our fear of letting go and falling. Perseverance is our supreme effort of refusing to believe that our hero is going to be conquered. 
Our greatest fear is not that we will be damned, but that somehow Jesus Christ will be defeated. Also, our fear is that the very things our Lord stood for, love and justice and forgiveness and kindness among men, will not win out in the end and will represent an unattainable goal for us. Then there is the call to spiritual perseverance, a call not to hang on and do nothing, but to work deliberately, knowing with certainty that God will never be defeated. And I read that and I was like, man, I was like, you just had to go there. Endurance I can handle. Can't you handle most of us in this room? That's what we we're taught. I got to endure, Brother Lot. I'm enduring. I'm enduring my marriage. I'm enduring my children. I'm enduring at work. I'm endure. I am, I am, Pastor Lot, I am committed and enduring. Well, here's the problem with what you're doing. When we say enduring, when we say, okay, I'm hanging on, I'm enduring, here's what it means. Literally, to hang in there. So what you're telling me is, Brother Lot, I'm, I'm hanging in there till one day you're not in church with me, and guess what? You're not hanging in there anymore. Endurance just means simply this, the act or quality or power of withstanding hardship and stress. And I grew up in churches, small churches. We had my dad pastor small church, and that was always the DNA of, of all those churches. If I carried you around and down and show you every small church in Mississippi, it's going to have one quality and one DNA quality. They're going to tell you they endure. We are not quitting. We are not compromising. We are hanging on. We'll die. And it's admirable. We are called to endure. But more than endure, we are called to persevere. Not to just hang in there. But perseverance means this. It means a continued effort to do or achieve something despite its difficulties, despite my failures or opposition, the act or condition or an instant of preserving. So it, is a, it sounds similar. Enduring, pers- they're not the same. So you could say, then Brother Lot, what does that mean to us? Well, let's look at it like runners. I, 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 I love running, but I'm not good at running. I love running, I'm not good at running. Because my muscle fibers are wrong. Ever since I was little, I I was born naturally a sprinter. I was fast from the time I was, I I remember from the first things when cotton things were, were, uh, combines were running out in the cotton fields. And all it would be would be rows and all, everything had been, and my dad would be out on one or something helping somebody or visiting somebody. And it'd be almost like a short distance, maybe two or three hundred yards and and I would run topping those cotton rows. And from the time I was young, running fast was easy for me. The only problem with running fast, it has some benefits and it has some problems. Let me explain to you. Because the race that we're called to run is a race of perseverance. A race 
to endure a race that is not stopping. Let me tell you the differences. Number one, when you're running sprints versus running long distance, the first problem is your goal. It's your goal. Like New Year's resolution, sprinters, this is what I want to do. I heard a leadership guy talk about it this week, and he said, he said, pick one thing each year. Quit trying to pick five or 10 or 15 or 20 things. He said, you're going to quit. He said, you can't change that much about you in one instance. Very hard. He said, just do this. How many of you need to drink more water? You drink way too many Diet Dr. Peppers and all this kind of garbage. Then just make this promise. This year, I'm not changing anything else about my life, but I'm going to, to buy one of those things at Walmart to tell me, oh, you're doing good. Oh, you're doing great. Oh, you're almost there. Yeah. I'm going to buy one of those things, and this year, all I'm going to do is I'm going to drink that every day. Just one thing. And find out how hard it is. You'll be like, what can I mix with this? I'm sick of water. Maybe I could put my Diet Dr. Pepper in the water. <laughs> Anything. Why? Because changing something about your life. And here's the thing. When, when we talk about the intention or the goals of a sprinter, it's just to get somewhere fast. The problem is I found out that, you know what, I got saved when I was eight and nine years old. I'm over 50 now. Can I tell you what this race in my life has been? Persistence. There's a many a time I was like, God, I wish you'd come back today. Why? Because I'm running good. And God's like, you better slow down. You better, you better, you better take it to a slower job. You better, you better get your heart rate down, Tim. Because you still got a long way to go. In fact, Paul warns us, don't grow weary in the well-doing. Don't, don't, we don't run as somebody trying to beat against the wind. We don't run for that. We run in perseverance. The second thing that's different between a runner and a sprinter is simply this, is the pace of the workout. It's the speed that you're going. Now, it's funny because people will tell me, say, well, I, I ran a race the other day. Did you or did you walk fast? Because there's three different paces that you can go. There is what we call barely moving. And usually the Bible says people barely moving or lagging behind, what's going to happen? They're going to get discouraged. They're going to fall out. And if you run too fast, and I've done this before. I remember years ago I run one in Carthage. And I was, I was in pretty good shape at that time. But still, remember now, I'm a sprinter. In my mind, I'm like, I can sprint three straight miles. That's not that far. And probably if it had been a downhill the whole time, I probably could, but Carthage was like, and it was like that. You, you, you go downhill for the first mile or so, and you're like, oh, this is, and then you're coming back through the city and all through the houses, and man, that whole road is just like, and I, I'm like, I'm dead. And here's what happened. We started out, and I raced against Duran, and that time Jason Gibson was here and, and others. And, and, of course, they, they would say, done said, we'll die before we let you beat us. That was their statement. We will die before you beat us. Man, that first mile, I run a 7-5. 
I mean, I was smoking. I passed Jason. I passed Duran. I passed everybody. Only the elite guys, you know, those that run the 19, the 20s. And Man, I was up there with them, and I'm thinking, I'm running with you. Made that curve. I started slowing down. Really bad. Duran come by me. Jason come by me. Everybody. And then they just look at me like, you can make it? Come on. Now we're not running. They're just hoping I don't die. Anybody ever run like that? It's a difference between sprinting. So understanding pace, let me give it to you in just a uh, literal terms. So if you're ever wanting to run here, understand this. It would be more accurate to say that anything over 12 minutes, you are staggering. You are really not running yet. Anything under 12 minutes, you've got it above a jog. So my goal is when I'm running, okay, I don't have to run five and seven minute miles, but I got to be above 12. 12, 13, I can't stay there because that means really I'm not really running it. I don't have to be the fastest. I don't have to be the swiftest. But in my mind, I need to know what pace is running. Do you know what pace is running in your spiritual life? Do you know when it's like, man, I'm, I'm just sitting around way too much right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not active in church. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm going. I'm moving a little bit, but I'm not active. My pace is not good enough right now. And then there's times where it's like I'm running way too fast. And I've done that at times where we've built things or done things. It's like, look, we just got to get it done. We'll worry about the consequence later and, and later just crash. But the goal is, is to set a pace and to grow. Why, why is this so important? But a lot because I'm fixing to carry you. Go with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5. I tell you all this because I want to show you what our job is in this church. What your job is as a Christian. It is to grow, to mature, to be the best you can be. To learn to run at a good pace. To learn to be an example. When I run my best races, here's what I've found. Is that I find me, I say, a 60-year-old lady. Or an 80-year-old lady. Somebody slow, but not too slow. And I find that person and, and, and kind of spot them. I look for them real quick. I know what a normal pace would be, so I have to find them. And then when I find them, we take off. Everybody's passing me. Some are falling behind. But that little old lady, she's just, she's just cruising. And here's what I do. There's a part of me that says, I could pass you. Nope. I'm just going to stay with you. I'm just going to stay with you. And that sounds real easy at first. I'm like, this is boring. Till mile two. And she's still got her headset on. And I'm sitting there like, I got to keep up with you. 
you're who I got to keep up with. By mile three, it's like, I'm going to die or I'm going to finish with you. And what's real exciting is when I can get all the way to the end, she's pushing up and I pass her. And we finish right there together. Either sometimes I win, sometimes they win. But what I did was is I found somebody who has done it long enough, who has a good pace. And I have learned that if I can find that person and connect with them, then I learn to run my race well. It's the same in the spiritual life. Peter has, in the first four chapters, he has described to them persecution, temptations, trials, Guys, you're going to have to endure this, but don't worry. God's got this. He talks about all, and then he gets to the end. And here's what Peter says to the church at the end. Verses 1 through 5 says this. The elders who are among you, I exhort you. I, who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers or elders, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonor or dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being a what? An example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace, there's that word again, grace, He gives grace, not unmerited faith, but the ability to do what you cannot do if you will humble yourselves and fix yourselves in a state. He will give you the ability to do what you could not do on your own. And all of it works together. So let me see if I can break it down into two parts today real quick. Two things that I want you to understand about this Christian wall that's so important today. If we are going to be a society of perseverance, if we're going to be a society that the world can look at and the world can, can, can speak to and can say, let me put it to you in another way. If we're going to be a countercultural society, not the world's culture, but a counterculture, we're going to be an alternative culture. We're going to be something different than what everybody else sees. If we're going to be an alternative society, then there's two things. Number one, we must have alternative society leaders. The church has to grow countercultural leaders. Somebody has got to become the little old lady that has no, doesn't, doesn't even realize sometimes that somebody like me is latched on. They're just running their race. They're just perfecting the race. 
And there in their perfecting have set a pace for all of those who are coming behind them. Not someone that everybody can say, well, we're praying for you. Not, not somebody say, well, we're hoping everything works. No, but the one that you just not, we're not worried about them. Did you get up this morning worried that something in Pastor Lot's life was going to be so bad that he was just going to call in and say, guys, I quit? No, because the whole part of what I'm supposed to do is set the pace. Now, it doesn't mean I'm always running 100 miles an hour. Somebody will look at me and say, like, what's wrong with you? You seem tired lately. Well, it's because you ain't run as far as I've run. But I'm still running. I'm still moving. I can't sprint all the time. I can't, it, it, not everything is uphill. Not everything is downhill. But I've learned to set a pace that I'm going to be just fine. Sometimes I have to slow down just a little bit. Then I can catch it up a little bit more. But I've learned to run the race. That's what Peter's saying here. That's what Peter is talking about when he talks about, first off, we need an alternative society leader. We need a counter-cultural leaders. Let's go back and, and, and look at what he says here. Go back to verse 1. To the elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a, a witness of the suffering. He says, I'm one of you. He said, I'm not better than you. I'm not worse than you. I know we, we make Peter, he was the head of the church. No, he wasn't. He said, I am just an elder just like you are. I am somebody who runs the race. I am somebody who sets the pace. I am someone that others look at as an example. He said, I'm no different than you. But he says, listen to me. There's some things that we're going to have to do if we're going to be leaders in this thing. Two main things we have to do if we're going to be leaders is to declare it. You're going to have to be able to declare it and you're going to have to be able to demonstrate it. You're going to, as, as leaders, and, and, and if somebody says, well, where is all seasons right now? I can tell you very clearly where all seasons is right now. Is it, I have been the head elder for a long, long time, and that's, that's wonderful. That's great. But as the church has grown, I can't be the head elder in every situation and place and thing that comes. And what I'm struggling with is I got a lot of people that want to come to church and a lot of people that just want to still do their thing, but they don't want to be elders in the church. And they fail to realize you're not here for your life. You're not here to die at 80. You're not here. You're here to run a race. You're here to be an elder in front of everybody that runs behind you. That's your goal. And it's not that we do it bad. I'm not trying to say we're an excellent church, but I'm saying the next step in all seasons looks like this. Let me just say right now, we have, we have great leaders in our church. We wouldn't be where we are without great leaders. We have great teachers in our church. You can go to classrooms and there's teachers everywhere that's teaching. Do you realize that these are elders? Our praise team. Do you realize those are elders? Those are people that have done that. Jennifer's done that. Trent's done that. All of them have done that since they were kids. How do you know that they're elders, Brother Lot? Are people that greet at the front door. 
that shake your hand, that help you get to a classroom, to help a kid get to where they're supposed to be. These are all elders. What are they doing? They're setting the pace of the church. It's not for glory. It's not for gain. Listen to how he says this. The elders who are among you, I exhort as fellow elders to to witness the sufferings and also be partakers of the glory that will be revealed. Listen to what he says. Shepherd the... What does that mean, Brother Lot, to shepherd the flock? Well, if you want to be an elder, if you're ready to learn to to run the race, set the pace, and be an example for others, here's what you got to be able to do. you got to know where sheep are. When I said a while ago, hey, we got marriages inside all seasons that are struggling. How do you know that? Because I know where they are. If you're teaching a class and don't know that three or four or five or six of your people's having problems in your class, then you're not shepherding. You're teaching and then you're leaving, but you're not shepherding. Shepherding means I know where they are. I've talked with them. I've spent time with them. And I know what dangers that are around them. I can declare and I can demonstrate. The Lord is my shepherd, my good shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside. Well, that's what the Lord does. Shepherd the. Quit doing your. Well, I'm praying for you. Whoop-de-doo. That's what Jason said to me when he passed me by. That's what Duran said when I was Come on, you can make it. I don't know. How do you know? I can joke about that because here's the thing that did happen. Two of those people that finished the race that day in Carthage, once they finished and got their time, they turned around and ran back to me and walked and ran and cried until I got to the finish line. I'll never forget them. Because in my mind, I'm dying. I can't do this. I messed up. I've started off too fast. I'm just going to quit. No, no, no. You're going to have a horrible time. And I did. Worst time I ever had. Like a, like a 39 or something. 40. I don't know what it may have been. 50. I don't remember. I just know it was like, really? I could have walked and got that fast. But because I did it, I had to stop at times. And I had to quit. And I'd look and like, how many more heels we got? But I had somebody there. Come on, you're going to make it. We're going to get that. All seasons where we are at the next level is where people find somebody. It may be a married couple and you see that they're having problems and you interject yourself and you say, hey, can, can, I, can I get it? Can we talk? Can I, can I get up in your life with you? Well, they don't want me to. Well, then they can tell you that. But don't just go ahead and expect it. 
shepherd. You got friends and you're running a better pace, shepherd them. Get up in their lives. He says to them, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Don't go looking to Ethiopia to find people hurting. Just stand in the foyer. It'll it'll happen. You'll see a kid who needs a mentor. You go hunting every day by yourself. You live your life by yourself. It's just you and nobody else. And there's that kid that walks by. It's got nobody in his life. What do you think you're here for? Why are you wasting God's oxygen? You are called to shepherd, to grow, to mature. I could say it like Paul and maybe make you feel better. By now, you should be eating meat, but I still got to give you milk. By now, you should be coming to me telling me who you're working with. Instead, I got to still point out, hey, would you go help? Oh, sure, Brother Lord, I'll do it. Sooner or later, there has to be elders. And elders are not just some title. Elders are what hold the church together. They are the glue that allows you to keep interacting and working. It's why we... They declare, they demonstrate. Listen to what he says. Serving as overseers. Someone who's responsible. But listen to what he says about this. Not by compulsion, but willingly. When I talk about the praise team, when, when I talk about the greeters, when I, you know what? None of them are paid. What an incredible church we have. We would not be where we are without the incredible people. Not the people that get paid. You get paid. You should feel bad. You don't do more. You actually get paid to do what you do. And we can't sometimes get you out of a house. You should be, you should be like just burning up the woods if somebody's giving you a check to do it. I got people that have no check that show up at 7 o'clock every Sunday morning practicing fixing to sing to you. All because, not because they're getting paid, not because it's any, just because they care. I got people studying who get no pay to do sermons, to teach classes, all because they care. Is this okay? Sooner or later, it's not about you. Paul, Peter says, when you grow up, it's not about you. You're an overseer. Woo, I'm an overseer. But not someone who is serving to gain compulsion, but doing it willingly. Greeters that show up, people that work in the coffee shop, people that give their time, people that come up here all during the week, people who mow grass and do different things and receive absolutely nothing except they're running their race and doing it in front of people so they can see the pace. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. You're not their boss. If you're going to work in this thing, if you're going to be part of kingdom work, the highest level there is, is a slave. If you're going to be at the highest level, you're a slave to all. You're a servant to every single person. Not as being lords over those who entrust you, but being examples to the what? 
to the flock. It's in their heart. Let me see if I can show it to you from the Message Bible. Uh, I printed this. I don't know if you've got it, but it's, it's, I, I can read this. Here's what it says. This, these passages, one through three, from the Message Bible. Here's what it says. I have a special concern for you church leaders. I know what it's like to be a leader in on, on Christ's sufferings as well as coming glory. Here's my concern. That you care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd. Not because you have to, but because you want to. And you want to please God. Not calculating what you get out of it, but acting spontaneously. Not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way. Go with me to Matthew 20. 25 through 27, here's what it says. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them. And those who are of great exercise are great authority over them. Yet it shall not be... There's a lot of preachers I'd love to just read that scripture to. It shall not be among you. You are not crippled. You can tote your Bible. I don't care if you're a doctor of cooking or doctor of saucy salad. I don't care. If you're a somebody in the kingdom, it shall not be among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, in this house, we're a counterculture. We're not like the world. We're not, we're not built like the world. The greatest one on the stage is the one that cleans the bathroom. It's the way it works. Why? Because in his kingdom, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, I told you this, I wanted to read the scripture just to make sure you know I didn't lie. If you want to be first, you want to be the man. The woman, you want to be the teacher of the class, you want to be, then let me tell you what you are. You are their slave. You want to be the greatest parent, then you be their greatest servant. Somebody just say amen so I know you're still awake. Everybody done gone to sleep on me. So we have to become a community of leaders. And let me just reiterate this because I don't want you to think I'm trying to be ugly. Leadership just means that I've learned to set a pace so others can follow my example. It means it's not about me anymore. I can't just show up and not show up. I can't just do it half the time and, and, then, and then check out half the time. I've got to grow up. And be the most consistent thing that in anybody else's life, I am the consistent thing. I am the steady thing. And we've gone a long way with it being just a few people or a few. But there's hundreds of people walking through these doors now. Do you think I can, I can step in every life, every marriage, every situation? Every, I can't. I'm just being honest with you, I can't. 
Somebody has to decide that I'm a pace setter. That I'll teach that class. And when I teach it, I will teach it with everything I got. And if I'm, if I'm doing it, I, it can count on me. If I see some marriage that, hey, I, I'm going to get up in there. If I see a kid that's struggling, hey, I'm going to. If I see somebody being picked on, hey, I look at this, shut up. Don't do that. Each of us in this room has to have a desire that one day our goal is not to just stagger along, but to be a pace and not run too fast. I'm not asking you to sell everything and, and burn out in three years. I'm telling you to learn to run a pace, to be an example to your family, to, to, to all of those around. Learn to run a pace. Secondly, we have to become an alternative society as our witness or a countercultural witness. What does that look like, Brother Lot? Well, notice verses 6 through 11 with me. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. See, when I preach this, everybody gets quiet. You know why? Because there's only one response. Humility. When somebody's preaching, stepping on my toes, like God's done all week, how do you think this thing got written? I spent all day Friday, at least asked her, what would you do Friday? Write a sermon. I don't want to tell her, I'm just walking around crying, getting chewed up. But the fact is, he says, when this hits you, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may quit trying to do it yourself. Just humble yourself and serve and wait till God, because that little old lady when she finished that day, and I, I was right with her, as soon as she crossed that line, me and her are sitting there, and I'm sitting here like, and she's just like, I just walked over to her, and I just said, thank you. And she just kind of looked at me. I said, I know you didn't know it. I said, but I'm chunky. And I said, I've been trying to keep up with you for three miles. And she just smiled. She said, you did good. You did good. But what I had to do, I had to humble myself. I had to realize that's the lady. That's the, there were, there were some other guys, some 20-year-olds that just, they're cruising, man. They got them shorts cut up to here, and you're just like, well, I ain't no sense doing that. That's ridiculous. No, she'll do just fine. And so in my life, I had to humble myself and realize that's me. That's where I'm at. That's where I need help. And here's what he says. Cast all your care upon him for he cares for. See, when you do this, it's, it's tough because you're worried more about other people and you're worried more, more about their lives and you figure God's just gonna, gonna work yours out and, and it doesn't mean you ignore it, doesn't mean that, but it just means you don't spend all your energy worried about what you like or what you want or what... You have a bigger picture in mind. 
You have a seriousness. There's three things that we'll find from this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfastly in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So what is he saying? Three things. Let me cover them real quick. Number one is humility. If you're going to walk this thing out and you're going to be who God wants you to be, you must walk, you must run in humility. How do we be the people of God in a culture where at least we're a nuisance? Right now, we're a nuisance to the world. The world looks at us and says, oh, and I just jotted a few of these things down. L listen, some of this stuff, they're so ignorant on sexuality. I mean, they just always want to stop stuff, and they're always wanting people just, just to try to live by some moral standard and everything. They're ignorant, bigotry toward sexual identity. I mean, I mean, like, like gender is just a thing, and it's just, they're ignorant. They're ignorant on moral ethics. I mean, you don't, it ain't going to hurt nothing to do that. It don't hurt anything to, to get drunk. It don't hurt anything to do these type of lifestyles. It don't hurt anything. I mean, they're just, I mean, they're just so, ugh. Always in my business. Always wanted me to feel bad about stuff I'm doing. We're just trying, the world would say, we're just trying to get to where we can be free. And those stupid Christians just keep bringing up the nose. Don't they know? Can't they think for themselves? They're so backward. And that's all we are right now is this, a nuisance. But if you have any inklings at all, you know what we're going to jump over. Eventually, we don't become just a nuisance. You'll become the problem. If we can quieten you down. How do you know, Brother Lott? Because during a pandemic when we should be praying and asking Beer joints could be left open. But churches had to close. That's what your government did. That's what they thought. Harry's Liquor Store, man, we got to have that. But now y'all gathering together for prayer at a house. No, we can't have more than six of y'all together. In fact, it's just best we don't even have it. We'll arrest you if we have to. You're just a nuisance right now. So how does a, a, a society like us, how are we going to sustain in a world that's culturally fixing to change even more, folks? Number one is humility. Humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and realize we're just called to run our race. Quit worrying about who's running with you. Quit worrying about who's following you. Quit worrying about how fast. Just run your race. Run it with your family, run it and, and whatever obstacles. If it's uphill today, great. You're just going to go uphill. If it's downhill, but we're going to run our race. Secondly, we must take it seriously. 
When we say humility now, as we've said before, perseverance is not simply passive. It means actively engaging, moving forward, knowing who's on the throne, knowing that He cares for us. And number two, when we talk about seriousness, we're talking about being aware. When I'm serious about something, I'm aware. I used to go fishing in places, and it would really be snaky. Elisa's dad and her family owned a little pond that I used to sneak into all the time. Being honest, God is my witness. We'd, me and the other guy, we'd ride our little motorcycle up through the woods, and we'd sneak over into that pond, and we would go fishing. But we knew this one pond. Now, this, this pond was very snaky. It was bad, Snakey. I've stepped on as I'm walking and hear something goes, and you're like, oh no. You gotta jump up and backwards. And, and so in this, whenever we went there, we took it seriously. I knew where I was going, I knew what I was dealing with. And you as a Christian, you're gonna have to not only be humble before the Lord, but you gotta be serious. Jesus would say it this way be as wise as serpents, but be harmless as doves. There's two things that help you in being serious, resisting what the world, two things, truth and trust. Do you believe that he's telling the truth and do you trust him? See, that's what Oswald Chambers was trying to get me to feel. He's saying, Tim, answer the question. Do you believe he's telling you the truth? And do you trust him? When you get up from here today, the only test you'll have to choose between you and God and you and this world will be simply this. Whether you believe he's telling you the truth. If he is, then he's coming back. If he is, then there's a judgment. If he is, then absolutely nothing this world can do to you matters. Or nothing you gain in this world matters. You're just living here to pass through, and when you pass through, you're going to die. And when you die, you got to go one place or the other. That's, that's really, if you believe the truth, that's the truth. So now, how much do I trust it? How much do I trust it? Number three, I must be grounded in future glory. My eyes must be on the future in Christ. When, when Peter writes these last few lines, when he writes these last few lines, he is emphatically telling them, listen, some of you probably are going to die. This thing is not, but this is not what we live for. I'm telling you today, you're going to run this race. Some people are going to laugh at you. Some people are going to tell you you're crazy. Some people are going to say, you Christians, y'all are all, you're going to catch all the flack and it's probably going to get worse and people are going to say things about you on Facebook. And if you... But your eyes have to stay up. Your eyes... I'm going to give you a new phrase and you can write this down. It'll be good for you. Do not belly gaze. Look at the person beside you and say, don't belly gaze. What is belly gazing? I just can't do anything right. I just, I'm telling you, I just don't. Everything I try just doesn't work. Don't belly gaze. 
That'd be a good one next week when you catch somebody, you know, I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm bad at everything. I'm telling you, I don't know what. Quit looking at your belly. Quit belly gaze. Get your head up. As a Christian, we keep our head up. Because everything we have is upward. We're moving forward. We haven't lost anything. God ain't fell off the throne. We're okay. I don't spend a whole lot of time belly gazing. I don't spend a whole lot of time talking about, in fact, I, I don't have a very good memory of anything in my past. Maybe that's to a fault sometimes. My wife was bringing up something yesterday or day before and she said, don't you remember this? I said, I don't remember none of that. I, it's hard for me to remember a lot of the stuff of building the camps and stuff. I don't remember it. I am a very much in the moment future person. I spend very little time thinking about my past. I can't. There's too much junk back there. If I think of my past very long, I'll be looking at my belly button. It's like, no, no, let's just think about the future. It's heads up. We're called to a living hope. Suffering is calculated in our lives. And we're grounded in the future glory of Jesus coming. Go back to verse uh, 10. And I'll come to a close. I'm through. Time's up. Got to go. And I told you I had a wobbly table. Listen to what it says. But may the God of all what? Grace. I told you grace is the ability to do what you can't do. Who called us to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus after you have suffered Growing is suffering. Growing is painful. Change hurts. But after you've gone through it for a little while, listen to what happens. Perfect, established, strengthened, and... So, so if I had you up here and I said, look, I want, you to, I want somebody to come up here and stand on this table. How safe would you feel? Well, I'd like you to go to my church. Really? Just like I told you, grace has four legs. It has word or the Bible, prayer, the Holy Spirit. It has all those, those, those legs, the Holy Spirit. And then number four is skipping my mind. My mind's about my head. So prayer, Bible, Holy Spirit. Man, what's the fourth one? My mind's gone blank. It'll hit me in a second. Anyway. When we're walking community. Duh, I just preached on community right now. Community. Or teachers, pastors. All of these are the four, and they all in incorporate grace. Grace. But here's the thing. Not only do they just come by God, but I need help. I got, a, I got a call yesterday. I don't understand. I'm having trouble reading my Bible. Hey, I don't know how to. 
pray. Look, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? How do you know it's not? How do you know if it's just you or if you just ate too much pizza? Hey, I need a church. I need a family. I need a life group. I need a... Inside of grace, God built what Peter's talking about here. And it's our responsibility to come up to someone and say, okay, you're struggling, right? Yeah, okay, we need to get that. Let's see here. Okay, let me get, get in this. All right, you better? I'm better. Grace is there. All the legs are there. But God has determined that each one of us has to help one another perfect those things. Just like we do with our children, we do with every person that walks through these doors. The problem is, is that to do that, we must suffer ourselves. Let me tell you the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. is to realize that it's okay to be out of gas sometimes. There may be some of you in this room who is out of gas. Brother Lott, I'm just out of gas in my marriage. I'm just out of gas with my kids. I'm out of gas in my spiritual walk. I'm just out of gas. Whether it's Bible, community, prayer, whether it's any of those things, all the things that God says, it still requires a community to help you get there. I did not get to where I'm at today without all those things that you're listening. And even today, people are still pouring into my life who are running the race ahead of me. And the church and all seasons is at a place where if we're going to go further, and I don't know if we will or won't, it's really not up to me anymore. I really, I don't have a say. That's the most frustrating thing is that from this moment on, it's not about me. When I go to those great churches, those those. One's ahead of us, there's only one difference. They have more people setting pace. We went to a church, took the staff, and I wanted them to see what it's like. We, we, we met with different people and just people on the stage and people in back, but, but the pace. And I hope they got, I hope they saw it, that it's not that they do it better or worse. They do. There's just more of them setting the pace. And it's like if you walked in that door, you can't help. And so as all seasons, this message this morning is for two people. One for those who says, it's time. It's time for me to go beyond and to set a pace. It's time for me to be something somebody else can follow. And it's for the other person who says, I'm tired. 
I'm tired. And I need, more than anything else, I need some gas. Don't, don't walk out of here this morning and just, and just, just act like, oh, I, it'll be all right. Whether it's doubt or fear or anxiety or confused or whatever it is, this morning, as everybody stands, This morning, as your pastor, as Peter would put it, as a fellow elder, I think that's the best way to say it, as a fellow elder with you, guys, the world's not getting better. We have to become better at running. There's too many people that's looking for a counterculture. We talk about it, this society, this society. Well, that's great, but if there's no other society to go to, then they're stuck. I believe right now is the greatest harvest that there's ever been. There's more people frustrated with their politician, more frustrated with all the things that the world's told them was going to make them do better and be better and feel better. And, and there's a world that's crying out right now, can anybody show me how to run this race? Can anybody show me what it's really like to find life Can anybody show me what marriage should look like? What raising a kid should look like? Can anybody show me? I know what the culture says. But I'm wondering if there's any elders in the house who says, I will. Humbly, seriously, and with my eyes set on the best goal possible, I will. For my kids, for those I work with, for those I'm around, I will. Just like Peter was crying for it in his day, nothing's changed. I'm standing up here 2,000 years later and I'm crying for it today. The world needs to see some leaders. They need to see a society of perseverance. A society that says, none of this stuff scares us. If you kill us, we go to heaven. If you let us live, we get to live like Jesus. If you persecute us, it just adds that much more glory to when we get there. You just add to my retirement plan. You can't hurt me. The world needs to see it. The world needs to see it. Dear Father, this morning, 
I'm calling out. I'm calling out this morning to those that maybe are staggering behind too slow. God, they need to increase the pace. They've got to increase the pace. I'm speaking to those who've run too hard, too fast. There's some in this room that ran too hard, too fast. And now I'm out of gas, Pastor. I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I have nothing it seems like in me. That's okay. We're all a bunch of mess ups and fall downs. and That's why we can run to Him. That's why He's given us grace. And He's given us people around to minister that grace. That we can do Bible together. That we can pray together. That we can speak and talk and speak over each other. We can let the Holy Spirit work on us together. Where we can be a church together. Father, this morning, Let them see it. Let them see it. Let them see it. And let them decide that I'm not going to endure anymore. But I'm going to persevere. I'm getting active. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Go give that old devil fits.